0: about politics, culture, and religion, and our take on all those things. Actually, like what you said in your the podcast interview, which we'll plug later, our, what, radically optimistic take?
1: Yes, we kind of, as we are now over, a little over a year of doing this podcast, we kind of realize that um, our take on most things, of course, they are sad, you know, hard, difficult things in the world going on all the time, but overall, we're... Radical optimists in this culture that kind of tends to be doom and gloom.
0: It's true. So this is evolving. The, the tagline is evolving. Our Our mission, I think, remains the same, but how we describe it is evolving. So stay tuned
1: or give us feedback. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Tell, <laughs> tell us if it's terrible. We are today talking about the Supreme Court of the United States nomination process. Uh, Supreme Court of the United States, shortened to SCOTUS. Everyone here in D.C. just says SCOTUS all over the place. And it's just assumed if you refer to the Supreme Court with that shorthand in real life, let us know. But the uh, nomination process of Ketanji Brown Jackson to replace Justice Stephen Breyer. The nomination process, uh, of course, runs Fairly simply, uh, the president of the United States picks a qualified candidate uh, that is then brought before the Senate, not the House. Uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee starts with a series of hearings to vet the president's Supreme Court nomination. She, kind of,
1: she goes around and she or he, whoever's nominated, goes around meeting with different senators kind of before this yep. as well. and. Has done meetings with the White House. The White House has vetted different mm-hmm. candidates, so to speak.
0: That's right. And that's usually yeah, closed door or private. So senators uh, are often... They've often had a conversation or a few with a potential uh, Supreme Court pick. And Ketanji Brown-Jackson coming from appeals courts... Uh, district courts i believe i am so first of all <laughs> we should say this whole conversation i'm not a lawyer rachel's not a lawyer i took one constitutional law class 13 years ago in college which i actually really enjoyed <laughs> where i think we're just we're talking about this as maybe slightly informed lay people that's right it's in the air here in dc we have their public policy backgrounds so anyway that's why i flub. enough any mistakes i make are my own uh but <laughs>
1: We're not experts on the courts, on the law, on right. all of that. We're just, yeah, slightly informed lay people, like you said. <laughs>
0: but Judge Jackson will be is nominated to replace uh, retiring Justice uh, Stephen Breyer, who I think reputationally is one of the, uh, not the most liberal justice on the Supreme Court, but uh, definitely of the liberal wing. Was nominated by uh, Bill Clinton, President Clinton, in 1994, and was confirmed by the Senate. So uh, Judge Jackson is nominated to replace him. How are the hearings going this week?
1: Yes. So um, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but these hearings have become um, so kind of primetime TV fodder people. The the senators really, um, you see clips of their kind of hot takes or impassioned speeches going around. And, you know, I say it's, Fairly new, probably new, uh, developing this century, with probably technological developments. Right, have um, you know we all have access to cable TV or the internet or something to see these um, mm-hmm. sound bites that happen. So, um, anyway, the, these hearings have definitely lived up to kind of the the trend of how these uh, nominations hearings go. So I I would say, one, that it's not unusual that these hearings are a little spicy and um, that has been the case, especially recently. Um, But I would big picture categorize it, really generalizing here, but um, Democrats are really focusing on her strong qualifications that she has a lot of experience as well as the historic nature of being the first black woman nominated to the Supreme court. A Senator Cory Booker gave a impassioned, Mm -hmm. very moving speech about this, this historic nature. Um, And so that's kind of what Democrats are focusing on. Republicans um, have kind of pulled out some, I would say hot political and cultural issues that are going on right now and questioned right. her on them. So the the one I think I've seen floating around the most is Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee asked her, um, "Do you can you define what a woman is? And uh, Judge Brown, do we say Judge Brown Jackson or Judge Jackson? Uh, actually, I'm not sure.
0: I, I was saying Judge Jackson earlier but that may be incorrect.
1: We'll we'll go for that for now. But judge Jackson Jackson kind of replied, well, I don't have a degree in biology, so I can't answer that. And, you know, of course Republicans are like, that's kind of crazy. Um, and then, you know, questions about her background as a criminal defense prosecutor, um, and her record there basically defending criminals, (laughs) which we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Um, And I think a little bit of, like, critical race theory came up and kind of all the the hot-button cultural issues right now.
0: And we all expect the SCOTUS nomination process to be fairly theatrical. I'm very glad it's not, like, the agonizing Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh nomination hearings.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, what was more kind of... Oof. Theatrical than that, right? His wife crying in the background. Yeah.
0: So it's not that. Yeah, there is this theater involved. I think there are serious questions in the mix, mm-hmm. and uh it's been interesting reading some analysis because she does have a unique background. Which? Uh...
1: What do we go talk? About? Yeah. So you talk about it. <laughs> yeah,
0: like I was, I was, I was intrigued. Like you know, first of all, approaching this, she's nominated by a Democratic president. Probably I'm not going to agree with rulings on, say, Second Amendment issues. There's reading concerning uh, opinion she's had on labor, mm. public sector union, labor issues, uh, concerning, in my opinion. Um, but one point uh, I've heard, though, is she brings a background of advocating uh, or you know representing you know, criminal defendants. So basically holding the state, the government accountable, mm-hmm. whereas recent justices have been solicitors on behalf of the government. So here's someone who has taken a look at state power, government power, and is trying to hold that in check in the context context of uh, usually criminal defendants. And she does have, I think I was reading too, this is maybe her third or fourth nomination process in the Senate, having done two courts and a sentencing commission, which are also Senate confirmation processes so uh so she has that particular background which to me was is, was interesting so i'm kind of personally i'm like I, I look forward to seeing how this pans out but don't i'm not expecting just like have this like ooh, like wow she's really you know adjudicating these issues and a way i feel is 100 aligned with my perspectives but i i do think that is uh a, a point of hope in my opinion
1: so basically what you're saying is You think that this perspective of a criminal defense um, kind of background is needed on the court because we don't currently have it. And even if, you know, you don't agree with, you know, Nobody well, likes child predators or whatnot, and wants to defend them. But they, sh- everyone should have a defense in court, and yes. our system is set up, you know, innocent until proven guilty, yes. and so we should support that. And
0: sh- yeah, and I think more broadly, she's used to looking at potential government overreach, mm. which we need in spades <laughs> everywhere, I think, and but w-
1: specifically focused on you know individual liberties taken away by the state
0: right right so coming at you know so there's the the criminal side but i think there's just like agency overreach the growth in so we have you know the three branches of government executive legislative and judicial but i think there's been this growth of like almost a fourth branch of government uh with you know federal agencies and even state-based government agencies you know Securities and Exchange Commission, Federal Communication Commission, the growth is like the uh, Environmental Protection Agency, et cetera, on down the list of like, you, I mean, dozens, mm-hmm. and you know, through actually you know, prior court rulings, through Congress, abdicating some, you know, uh, legal authority to these agencies. I think having someone who c- at least has this, you know, holding government in check into you know, in a, holding government to account could be beneficial for those kinds of cases of like administrative, we call it the technical term, administrative overreach um, or agency overreach. And I, you know, who knows actually like how she'd rule in a case like that, like who, for example, it's an open question about who has ultimate authority on interpreting a regulatory rule. Is it Congress or is it the agency that has Mm -hmm. jurisdiction and specialized knowledge? And constitutionally, who has like, where does the buck stop? And I think the court, there are cases like circulating right now uh, that may work their way up to the Supreme Court where the Supreme Court will have to rule like who has, where does the buck stop when it comes to interpreting a regulatory rule?
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And this is something we talked about, you know, maybe there is some hope given that background that she would on those administrative cases um, provide something. but we really never know you never know <laughs> just like we uh, conservatives have been disappointed by George W Bush's appointment of John Roberts yep. being a lot more moderate uh, on rulings yeah, than moder- more expected. yeah
0: more moderate than expected you know Senator Day O'Connor of course was supposed to overturn Roe but you know didn't and that was Casey right yeah that case um so who, you know, who knows? And I think, like you were saying, the hearings and nomination process becomes this political circus. It, you know, publicly, these candidates, I mean, you get, you can like sink, or sink a person. and I, But there's also like the, the Ginsburg rule, right? Which Emmy Coney Barrett invoked, made popular by uh, deceased former Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg of basically not commenting on you know current opinions or anything that's close to like a current supreme court opinion so people candidates are cagey as well i think that kind of adds to the not commenting during the hearings yes yes exactly
1: so um in these hearings she's not gonna probably not gonna give how she would rule on the big abortion case this year dobbs versus jackson's women's health organization yep yeah. Um, and even f- though they're, qu- they're still questioning about her views on abortion. You know, when does life begin? I saw a Senator ask her that question. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely questions about abortion come up, but everyone kind of respects that she is not weighing in on the cases before the court right now, before she's nominated.
0: Well, maybe they, can you talk about your point then about like what the court has become, Supreme court has become in maybe recent history?
1: Yeah, so how to think about this. Um, I think that, you know, there's this kind of thought swirling out there that, well, the Supreme Court is just this neutral arbiter of judges. These judges should have no kind of political leanings, and they're just the neutral arbiters of kind of the law of the land. And unfortunately, there's just been this whole... Um, shift over the last century in how the court operates, partly or largely because the legislative branch has abdicated a lot of its power. So what do I mean by that? Um, When we see we saw this in Obamacare, we've seen this in other kind of big laws Hmm. that have been passed recently. Congress leave some uh wiggle room in the statute so when they're writing a law they leave some wiggle room for administrative agencies to interpret how to enact the law
0: that's why it's a hot button issue
1: so you know instead of saying exactly you know in the case of obamacare for example if you don't buy uh insurance you know this is the it's called the individual mandate if you don't buy insurance, then you will be taxed as a penalty. We couldn't call it a tax for a number of reasons because then you couldn't have gotten through the Senate with um, bypassing the filibuster. So they kind of fudged it and just called it, you know, this is just a mandate. It's not a tax. (laughs) It's it's a penalty. Um, And so kind of wiggle room like that in the law, things that say, you know, you should do this, but the Environmental Protection Agency is going to tell us how to do that.
0: Well, the Affordable Care Act, bam, right out of the gate, people started suing to then work the cases up to the system, the Supreme Court.
1: Yeah. So all this, um, either for consideration of you can't get 60 votes if you were to define something exactly in the law, or because it would be kind of politically, um, you'd get you know, hit over the head by your constituents. By it, if you define something, um, it, it has left a lot more wiggle room, which then has led to more power in the hands of the Supreme Court to essentially right. make law,
0: <laughs> to yeah. essentially
1: decide the laws that we live by, which should be done in the legislative branch more than it's being done now. Correct. Um. So because of that. <laughs> The Supreme Court has become this more political body, has decides what laws we all live by. Right. Um, So in addition to that factor, you also have this kind of increasingly growing divide between how Democrats or liberals and conservatives or Republicans view the role of the court and the role of judges. So. Democrats and liberals think that the Constitution is this living document. Generally speaking. Generally. Well, I would say. Okay. All right. All right. I mean, if for the most part. Okay. They, if the Constitution is this living document um, that should be evolving, that should not be kind of strictly held to. It was written, you know, a long time ago, etc.
0: 1787.
1: <laughs> so... That's kind of the the general Democrat liberal view. Republicans, um, on the other hand, believe that a a more originalist view um, that we should be reading the Constitution as it was written. And it's really dangerous to kind of... Rewrite and and add to and expand upon the words of the Constitution uh, right. that kind of leads to some creep. So these are really radically different views of viewing the Constitution, and so you have that layered upon this like increasingly political role of the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and we're in the situation where instead of you know this idyllic view of the Supreme Court being uh, this neutral arbitrating body, it is <sighs> actually pretty political, makes a lot of decisions about our lives um, and takes a much heavier role. So with that all said, I think it's rational for these senators making these confirmation votes to bear the reality of what the court is and not what we wish it would be in mind, Um, knowing that Whatever judge they're voting on will be making big decisions on Second Amendment rights, on abortion, on health care, on all sorts of um, issues that affect us every single day.
0: So, I mean, to sum up that point, that perspective, your perspective is then if you're a Republican senator, you do not vote to affirm a democratically appointed Supreme Court pick.
1: Right. You can... you know, they can be the most qualified person, right? And, but you know that for the rest of their lives on the Supreme Court, they are going to be making decisions because the court has kind of polarized and evolved so much. They're going to be making decisions counter to how you think is, what what you think is good for the nation. And vice versa. We've seen this with, democrats right not a single democrat i don't think voting for uh neil gorsuch or amy coney barrett
0: right but so i'm a little more idealistic here then (laughs) (laughs) and i given the the options yes i do not expect someone you know judge jackson to rule in ways that i completely identify with but given all the other options i've been surprised and like oh she seems like better than other picks so were i a senator to then i think i would i would want to have that same but of course i would have political pressures and the donors and constituents you know calling my number probably saying like don't confirm her don't confirm her but just looking at kind of the the broader landscape the alternatives the like her record i would say like senators should vote yes if they feel that way and believe that way not just have a completely partisan default voting record or voting you know voting pattern
1: so you would say if somebody has great qualifications they should be you should be a yes vote for them despite being totally opposite on you on I mean issues. Well
0: yeah I mean yes on the qualifications. I don't I don't know like to that the total opposite from, you know, whoever I am, mm-hmm. Senator, that's like a that's obviously a continuum. I think there are probably judges out there. I think I saw um uh Sotomayor is the most liberal mm-hmm. on the Supreme Court right now. If someone there was a Sotomayor clone <laughs> put before me I think I'd be more like no 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 thus far Judge Jackson is not that far it's not a soda she doesn't seem like a or clone maybe she will be I don't know but like we I can only look at history so what I've seen so far gives me like more hope than I would have otherwise
1: true I guess <laughs> yeah it is a continuum but I feel that maybe fifteen years ago that could have held true um, that we could expect you know some some moderate decisions here and there. Um, but I feel like the evolution of the way things are going, we can't expect that anymore.
0: Okay. We disagree. Look at that. Where the Barclays disagree. Whoa. So,
1: I wanted, can I give a little bit of the history of how this has kind of evolved over the last two decades? Sure. Just really quick, I won't make it boring. So, <laughs> where this kind of politicalization um, has evolved, kind of started. In nineteen eighty seven. And this is all, by the way, a really good um article by Henry Olson in the Washington Post that we'll put in the show notes in our email. Um and,
0: and I disagree with it.
1: <laughs> so it started in nineteen eighty seven um with Democrats opposing the nomination of Robert Bork. Um so this was kind of the first, you know, Democrats kind of banded together and opposed his nomination. Um, it sounded like you know I wasn't alive then, but it sounded like largely on, uh, the abortion case. And you know, this has been kind of a key issue in these nominations for a long time now. Yeah. And then since
0: 1973 was Roe v. Wade. Was it 72
1: or 73?
0: 73 around there?
1: Yeah. Um, and then. Republicans did not continue that trend in the 90s. So, Republicans allowed Stephen Breyer and Ruth Bader Ginsburg to sail through the Senate. The votes were 87 to 9 and 96 to 3. So, really, you know, heavy bipartisanship in the 90s. Um, And, you know, Stephen Breyer, Ruth Bader Ginsburg seemed to be very liberal, but Republicans, you know, still voted for them and didn't kind of keep the keep score on the bork nomination um but then you know we remember things really have heated up in the country during president obama's second term this is kind of after obamacare um things have become much more polarized and uh in 2016 knowing kind of we're at, at the end of obama's second term we've got an election going on um we all remember Justice Scalia passed away and then there was this seat open at the very end of Obama's term and Senator McConnell refused to hold a hearing for Merrick Garland. So that turned up the heat in 2016 Um <sighs> Then when President Trump became president, he um, nominated Neil Gorsuch, and McConnell was in power then, Senate, Senate Majority was in the Republican hands, and he abolished the filibuster for Supreme Court nominees. Now, of course, Democrats had already gotten rid of the filibuster for all other judicial nominations during the Obama administration, so it's not like this was totally norm-breaking everyone's guilty <laughs> and then um we saw two more <laughs> nominations during the trump administration which was kind of impressed un- 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 unprecedented but also i don't know unprecedented but unusual yeah <laughs> um to get three in one term yeah um but this is kind of what a lot of trump voters had hoped for and voted for him for this yeah, reason That's true, that's true. um and we saw Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett... And they
0: seemed like really good picks.
1: ...nominated. And only Joe Manchin crossed party lines to support Brett Kavanaugh. And no Democrat supported Amy Coney Barrett. So we see this kind of evolution here of it becoming increasingly polarized.
0: So therefore, your point is we, senators, should act in that environment accordingly.
1: Yeah, I mean generally my view on a lot of this is you have to act in the world you're given not the world you wish existed
0: but we need to change the world so how can we fix it and like one of the ideas was removing cameras from uh mutually assured destruction (laughs) of like senator ben sass from nebraska in the hearing saying you know and he's had this point for a while i think even just about general congressional reform and like kind of why we have the system we have and the legislative branch is cameras uh kind of inculcating a performative culture mm-hmm. getting the sound bite so you can post it on youtube um you know con- congress has always attracted attention and people read about it like I- i've you know crowds would show up and like wait outside the door all night in the 1800s for certain proceedings early 1900s so it's not like attention is new it's just the fact that i guess it's recordable visually and audibly right and i think that's an interesting idea
1: what happens in supreme court here case hearings right true Yeah,
0: yeah yeah there are no live cameras there's
1: reporting out of the case but there are no live cameras yeah
0: well no you can you can listen to the hearings
1: but no visual cameras. Right. Okay. Right. Right. And so, yeah, that's, it's an interesting thought by Senator Sass. And what I'm intrigued by is this idea. And and, by the way, I don't think it will ever happen, right? We can't (laughs) get rid of this kind of transparency that we give um, to the people, but, oh, it's unquestionable that the uh, body is changed by being able to send these clips. Like every hearing is, performative rather than institution building of really trying to get to the meat of an issue. It would look totally different if you weren't able to clip out YouTube clips. And
0: yeah, I mean, maybe just other ways to be transparent besides video recordings. But I was also thinking too, who C-SPAN is a joke because people make a joke about C-SPAN because 99% of C-SPAN footage is like really quote (laughs) dull legislative procedure. You know, people say like members of Congress like oh, I gave a speech from the floor well 99 percent of the time a speech from the floor is to an empty room <laughs> right. to like someone sitting in the chair who's like fourth string pick to sit in the chair right so like I think like that seems fine it seems like there's something else though that you know gives kind of a cultural political when the political machine gives us attention to certain things or you know stuff can be turned around uh to make political hay that's where it seems to go off the rails. so maybe there's like a tweak to the other parts of the system or institutional uh, reforms that could be done. Right. So I guess quickly, what, what might Christians think about this?
1: This is always a tough one, right? Because, you know, um, there's, there's so many things Christians should think about this. One is Christians should think about judge Brown as an image bearer of God, even if they don't agree with her and with the respect that an image bearer, um, demands. And so that's one piece. Another piece is, you know, she will be in charge of making moral decisions, um, you know, in kind of a Christian, uh, lexicon. And so, you know, her, her decision on abortion for many, uh, Christians, is really, I mean, this is a, a a life or death, also image bearer question. So, right, um, yeah. There's there's how we treat a person that we disagree with, um, and then there mm-hmm. is also, um, you know, uh, how we should participate in, uh, the policy building, and whatnot. That you know does make moral decisions right and wrong.
0: Yeah. And justice, life and death too, and kind of potential death penalty mm. cases. Uh,
1: justice, right, is yeah. a whole other topic.
0: Yep, yeah. well, that's a good, good thought. Stinkers and thinkers.
1: Stinkers and thinkers. You go first. What is your stinker?
0: I think I'm going to do a combo Ooh. stinker and thinker. A book I read recently, finished recently, uh, "Ministry for the Future" by sci-fi author Kim Stanley Robinson. Huh. I uh, really enjoyed his Mars trilogy. Uh prolific writer, but one of the newer books, Ministry for the Future. I saw multiple people recommend it um in like the sci-fi readers public policy because it's a book about an age a government agency, an international government agency that comes out of the Paris Climate Accords. Ah. and it's 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 and it's starting like in so the the nearish future, like late 2030s to 2050s. And there's been catastrophic climate change, like a heat wave that kills like 20 million people in India is how it st- kicks off. And I was kind of, I was gripped by that. So I guess it's a, it's a, it's a thinker and that it really challenged my priors. Uh, huh. You know, I'm not a climate apocalypse a catastrophist. Is that what I mean? <laughs> uh I think there are a lot of ways we can adapt to climate change. I do think climate change is happening. I think there's... Debate. I mean, man-made, you're human-caused, whatever. But it was kind of like... So as was a thinker in that sense. Challenging my prior is interesting to kind of get insight. Uh, the stinker, the story was a little meh uh, after the first quarter of the book. Um, and then just the other sticker parts, it, like the characters hated economists. They're like, economists gave us this world that's burning. And... <laughs> It was, like, this wish list of, like, government power and um, even, like, advocacy for, like, terrorism. The, like, the Ministry for the Future, they have this this kind of moral debate about should we have kind of a black ops division where, like, the, the head of it, the administrator doesn't really know what's going on. And there's sort of a hint that this agency's black ops division was behind this dr- drones that basically crashed any commercial flight. It's huh. so like 7,000 people died. and so like no one's flying commercially anymore, which is, you know, great for the environment. And <laughs> kind of we had to do what it, we had to do what it took because the earth is going to burn if we don't. And I think just that it's kind of showed maybe where, maybe the author meant to do this. Uh, I want to listen to interviews, but it kind of shows the, where you can end up if you do mm-hmm. believe there's an existential crisis within, you know, 10 or 20 year period. with climate change and like well why not kill people then if that's actually what you think yikes so it's uh pretty haunting yeah which i guess is maybe a thinker side so that's why it's kind of a mixed bag for me oh interesting and there was just i think inconsistencies too of like everything (laughs) kind of works perfectly with the government agency but like and the market sucks of course and capitalism (laughs) is like the reason we're here and when like capitalism is providing a lot of the answers like we live in a much cleaner world now because of advances in technology and innovation driven by a capitalist system
1: <laughs> wow that's a lot so basically <laughs> it was an intriguing read good read but a lot of uh ideological things that annoyed me. yeah a thinker
0: <laughs> laced with stinkers
1: <laughs> nice um my stinker was much lighter. I read a book that had been on a bunch of like end of year book lists and I thought it'd be really good. Amor Towels is the author. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, actually, I don't even know if it's a him or her. Amor Towels? I
0: think you started reading this when you were staying in a hotel during a weekend getaway and I thought you were asking for more towels. <laughs> it's almost called the... Yeah, that's yeah. the author's
1: name. Yeah. And uh, the book is called The Lincoln Highway. And everyone a lot of people loved it so i thought i think i just had high expectations like it was an okay book but my expectations were so high and it it kind of dragged on really and that's all yeah Nothing. it wasn't a
0: highway it was a <laughs> boulevard
1: well it was in the 50s so they were driving really slow oh uh, <laughs> that's, that's true um yeah it was all right so that's my stinker ish
0: stinker ish
1: and then I guess you already had your your combo thinker. Right. My thinker, I'm going to use our podcast to plug another podcast that I was on. So an organization called Good. the Parental Rights Foundation. Uh, new president is our friend Will Estrada, who worked at Homeschool Legal Defense. Hey, Will. Um, wonderful interviewer. Had a great time talking about what it's like to parent with a disability. Um, I think it's really important to get out there and show that people with disabilities can be and are excellent parents Um, because there's actually some terrible state laws still on the books that make it so that um, disability physical disability included um, can be the only reason that social workers decide to take your kids away Um, so they can look and say wow you're disabled. I don't think you can take care of your kid. Um, and so you've, we've seen some horror stories out there. You know, hopefully the culture is changing and that will um, revert to or kind of trickle down to laws being changed. But I think it's just so important to show that disabled people can be great parents um, and are great parents and um, that people know that because not everyone knows a disabled parent. So. It's
0: true. What's the the name of that uh the, the epic podcast yeah. epic broadcast e p p i c broadcast i searched for it on uh, overcast and found it easily
1: yes and we put it on our instagram and in our show notes
0: that's very good you did a great job
1: <laughs> thank you
0: everyone should listen to it well thanks for listening to our podcast
1: see you next time